0: sanctified us by his commandments and has commanded us to be a light to the nations and has given us Yeshua the Messiah, the light of the world. Amen. Amen. And now the Kiddush, blessing over the cup. Baruch Eloheinu melech Borei Amen Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Amen. Amen. And now the blessing over the bread. (laughs) Chamotzi lechem min haaretz We give thanks to God for bread Our voices rise in song together As our joyful prayer is said (laughs) <laughs> Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, king of the universe, who brings
1: forth bread from out of the earth.
0: Amen. Amen. All of that
1: mm-hmm. All right. Now husbands, if you will bless your wives, the Heavenly Father. I thank you, Lord, for the wonderful wife that you've given me. And Father, we thank you and we pour out a blessing upon all the wives on this Sabbath day. I pray that you bless her, strengthen her, and encourage her as she rises in the night to see about the ways of the household. And I pray that you strengthen her as she teaches and educates our children. Father, I pray that you pour out your very best blessing upon her and that you would encourage her in everything that she does. Let her know how worthy of praise and honor that she is. And, Father, I confess with all of my heart that I love her, and I thank you, Lord, for her. We also bless all of the widows and orphans, those without a father or a husband at this time as well. We thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. 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 All right, now let's bless our sons. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you be as Ephraim and Manasseh. Amen. 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 Let's bless our daughters. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you be as Ruth and as Esther. Amen. Amen. Shabbat Shalom.
2: Shabbat
3: Shalom. 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 Please join us for the Baruch the call to worship. Baruch et Aronai ham
4: vorach. Baruch Aronai ham vorach le'olam
3: va'ed. Bless the Lord, who is to be praised. Blessed be the Lord, who is praised for all eternity. Amen. And now the Michamocha. Mocha,
4: Adonai. No O O There is none else You are awesome in praise Doing wonders, O Lord Who is like
3: you, O Lord Amen And now the blessing of Messiah Baruchata ta'aranai Eloheinu melech ha'olam altogether, blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the Universe, who has given us the way of salvation in Messiah Yeshua, Amen. And now the Vishamru. Vishamru v'nei Yisrael et Hashbat, la Asot et Hashabat la Doratam Berit Olam, Bene Yovan b'nei Yisrael ot Hile Olam, kecheshet Yamin asa Aronai et Hashmaim va et Harletz, u'vayom Hashvi Ishvat. Altogether, Altogether, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath and observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he ceased from work and was refreshed. Amen. And now the Shema. If you would all turn and face east toward Jerusalem for the watchword of our faith, the Shema. Shema Yisrael,
4: Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Baruch Shem Kevod Melchuto Leolam Vaeh. Yeshua
3: HaMashiach Hu Adonai Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be his name, whose glorious kingdom is forever and ever. Yeshua the Messiah, he is Lord. Amen. Enada ve'ahavta, ve'ahavta et Aronai Elochecha, ve'chol levavcha, u'v'chol navshecha, u'v'chol meyodecha. Ve'hayu, v'hayu, Ha devarim ha alecha anochi mitzavcha hayom ala vavcha ve shinantam levanacha ve debartam ve shivtacha be beitcha u leot ayadecha ve hayul totafot benanecha uktaftam amezozot betecha u vishorecha altogether and you shall love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall speak of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them for a sign upon your hand, and they shall be for frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them upon the doorposts of your house, and upon your gates. Amen.
4: Tora, Kim Tion
5: Shabbat Shalom, and welcome to our Arab Shabbat broadcast here at B'nai Shalom. Uh, This Sabbath, we are opening up and teaching the book of Deuteronomy. And we are coming to the last book of uh, the Torah for this cycle for this year. Uh, this particular teaching of Deuteronomy is the third of what we call the three Haftoras of Rebuke, and I'll explain that a little bit more as we get into it. But Deuteronomy, the beginning of Deuteronomy, let me let me um, uh, give just a little bit of explanation, the introduction to the book, and as we get into. Uh, the next several weeks of teaching of it. Deuteronomy uh, is the, that's the Greek name, the Septuagint gave it, meaning the repetition of the law or the second law. And whereas the Hebrew name for it is Devarim. Devarim, these are the words. And that's a good description of the book because what you're going to find Deuteronomy to be are essentially five oratory discourses from Moses where Moses is going to recount uh, a lot of things that happened about coming out of Egypt and getting right across it. And and he's going to recount certain teachings that uh, God gave to the children of Israel through the Torah. And we're going to see these five discourses. Now, this very first one is going to be addressing essentially the business of them, uh, the history of the exodus again. It's so going to be repeating that and explaining how the, the exodus began and took place. And as I mentioned to you before, there's this is the third Hoftor rebuke. This, as you follow followed my teaching for last week and the week before, there are elements of the story of the exodus where Israel didn't do well. And the prophets have spoken to that and have talked about the mistakes they made. And the exhortation is so that in the last generation we won't make those same mistakes when it comes to the greater Exodus. Let me uh, take you just a little bit into Deuteronomy and take you to the first verse. These are the words which Moses spoke to all of Israel across the Jordan in the wilderness in the Erevah, opposite Suf. Between Paran, Tophel, and Lavin, Hazarot, and Diazahav. Now, those names that I just mentioned to you are places that were in the wilderness journey that involved these things. Let me repeat them to you. Paran is where they sent the spies from. You remember the story of the spies? That didn't go well. Okay? Tofah. Has to do with the accusations that were made. By the way, anytime you make an accusation, it doesn't go well. Lavan, where it was white and there were issues that that happened there, struggles. Hausa wrote, that's where Korah, the great rebellion, uh, took place. And um, Diyazahav, that's where the gold was at. And anytime you get gold with a whole bunch of people, you're going to have trouble. The, he's recounting key places that were in the previous experience of going through the wilderness where major problems took place. Now, there wasn't supposed to be major problems. God was leading the children of Israel out of Egypt, going to take them on the journey. It was going to take them to the land. But because of the problems and because of the testing of the Lord, that generation ultimately had to get judged in the wilderness and the delay came to going in the land of 40 years. 40 years in the wilderness as a result. Now Moses is toward the end of that period of time. He's literally almost on the banks of the Jordan here when he's going to write this. He's up in the northern part of the Arava, And it's just a short distance over to the Jordan to cross into the land. And he's recounting now... He's writing this book at the end of the 40 years for the children of Israel to have this book to go in um, to the land. Um, Let me read just a little bit further for you. Uh, He says, um, let me me take you to verse 2. It is 11 days' journey from Horeb by the way of the Mount Sierra to Kadesh Barnea, And it came about in the 40th year on the first day of the 11th month that Moses spoke to the children of Israel according to all that the Lord had commanded him to give them. And after he had defeated Sihon, king of the Amorites, who lived in Heshbon Og, the king of Bashan, who lives in Aseroth and Andrei, across the Jordan in the land of Moab, Moses undertook to expound this law, saying, The Lord our God spoke to us at Horeb, saying, you have stayed long enough at this mountain. Turn and set your journey and go to the hill country, the Amorites, and to all their neighbors in the Ereba, in the hill country, in the lowland, in the Negev, and by the sea coast, the land of the Canaanites, in Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. So I placed the land before you. Go in and possess the land. They came up from the south side. South Thailand, they came out of uh, Arabia, where Mount Sinai was, and they traveled up 11 days' journey, up, and they're at the launching place to go north into the land. That was the original plan of what God wanted to do. Well, as you know, because of what transpired, that's not what happened. The children of Israel sent the spies in, and they got discouraged. They came back, they gave a bad report about the land, and they questioned the, the people's hearts melted within them they didn't believe the lord anymore they they questioned uh, what the lord do bring us out here to die in the wilderness uh, is the lord really with us uh, and they challenged everything that god had previously done with them and acted in unbelief toward all of it let me share something with you that's kind of interesting um There are two great sins that you can commit. You can uh, not believe God, and you can disobey God. Now, when you disobey God, you still believe in God, but you refuse to do what God said. Now, when it comes to disobeying the Lord, you can repent, turn back to the Lord, and correct that situation. But when you're in unbelief and you sin that way, how do you repent? You, you can't, you know, you're, you're failing to recognize who God is. How can you repent to him? You have to start believing in him again before you can repent. And by the way, God gets way more upset because of unbelief than because of disobedience. Moses paid the price of not getting to go to the promised land because he was accused of by God you didn't believe me. Moses when they were out of water, you know, he went to God and he said hey the people are about to kill me, we need water. He said take your staff, take the elders, go out to the rock, speak to the rock and there will be water for the people. So what he does is he gets his staff, he gets the elders. He goes out, and now his anger wells up in the conflict with his brethren. And and he he gets very upset, and he says, what do I have to do? Make water come out of the rock for you rebels. And he hauls off with his staff, and he strikes the rock. Well, water did come out. The people got the water. But then God announced, by the way, uh, Moses, you're not going to the promised land. Why aren't you going to the promised land? you didn't believe me it's not that you disobeyed me you didn't believe in me and that's way more severe in terms of think about judgment wise ultimate judgment wise if you have a group of people like us believers and you have this uh where we're but we believe the lord but we're going along and we make a lot of mistakes well we can repent um and we can repent, and, um, and, and the Lord restores us. But if, um, if you don't believe the Lord at all, you won't even get to the point of acknowledging that you've done something wrong. So you have no chance of fixing it uh, whatsoever. We have a lot of people in this world who do not believe in God. It's not a case of that they're disobeying the Lord. They just flat don't believe in him. They don't believe in him at all. Guess what the judgment is for when you don't believe? Death. That's the judgment. You didn't choose life. You chose death. God is life. Choose something else. You chose death. Um, And that's ultimately what the whole day of the Lord is all about. Who lives and who dies? Who is reconciled to God and who is subject to the judgment and wrath of God? You remember John 3.16? John 3.16 tells us all about believing in the Father and the Son being sent, and that if you believe in that, you'll receive forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive eternal life. Uh, But later on, In verse 36 of John chapter 3, he talks about that if you don't obey the law of God, which is the first commandment is to believe in him, if you don't do that, then the only thing that you have waiting for you is the wrath of God and judgment. You don't have eternal life waiting for you. You have the wrath of God waiting for you. And um, part of the problem that Moses is trying to address here in these, this final book is trying to get the children of Israel. Well, we would like you to learn to obey, so you don't make these mistakes. But more fundamentally, you need to believe. You need to recognize God's presence in your life, and what He's doing. And in this particular case, if you remember, the great sin of the spies uh, when they went in was uh, a case of. Uh, They had just come from Mount Sinai. They had seen the judgments in Egypt. they have been led to Mount Sinai. They heard the voice of God. They saw the fire on the mountain. Here's the pillar of fire at night. Here's the, the cloud by day. They're eating manna. They're drinking water from the rock. And we go up and we're confronted with a little bit of a threatening situation. The spies are coming back with a bad report. And we fold our tent and, it's, and, and we basically say, is God really with us? Can, can we really believe in God? I don't know that I can really believe in God. I don't know that I believe in you, God. You know, that, that's where they're at. And no wonder they got judged. No wonder that, ju- that generation was judged in the wilderness, and, and another generation was going to be the one that would cross the Jordan. Moses is trying to recount certain things for us for the express purpose of teaching you how to believe in the Lord more. It's one thing to learn the commandments and don't disobey. It's a whole other thing to not believe in the Lord and not be willing to do that. Let me, uh, with that introduction, let me take you to the Hoftor portion. Our Hoftor portion for this comes from the book of Isaiah. And whereas we were looking at the first two chapters of Jeremiah, we're going to look at the first chapter of Isaiah. And again, these major prophets, Jeremiah and Isaiah, they came with very severe messages to the people of Israel. God sent these prophets to try to turn the people around try to get the people to recognize who the Lord is again because they basically walked away from the Lord they were forgetting the Lord they're not believing in the Lord anymore so with that let's uh, let's see what let's see what Isaiah has to say here in this first chapter that ha- that is dealing with this subject verse 2 chapter 1 listen o heavens and hear o earth For the Lord speaks. Before I go any further, do you know that that's how Moses is going to end the book of Deuteronomy? He's going to call for the heavens and all of the earth to be a stand as a witness. You know, listen to my words. You be a witness against this people. Here's Isaiah. Oh, listen, O heavens, and hear, O earth. The Lord speaks. The heavens can hear God speak. The earth can hear God speak. But do God's people hear God speak? And the contrast is dramatic. Sons I have reared and brought up, but they have revolted against me. An ox knows its owner, and a donkey its master's manger. But Israel does not know, my people do not understand. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. That is, that's what unbelief looks like. I don't know, and I don't understand. I remember very emphatically in my personal experience of coming to know the Lord that the first time that I really was seriously confronted with the lord i this is this is the prayer i said i said i've I've heard that you're God. lots of people have told me that you're God um can I tell you something God I don't know enough about you to believe in you. I admit it. I don't believe in you because I don't know anything about you. Well, that's a very interesting prayer because that was an honest prayer. I'm, I'm telling the Lord, "This is really, I really. How can I believe in you if I don't know you? If I don't know anything that you've said or done or what? If I, if I, how can I believe in you?" So the whole purpose is God's going to reveal what He's done, what He has said so that we have the opportunity to believe in him. And that's what God has been doing all along with Abraham and his descendants and with the children of Israel coming out of Egypt and and all the, and giving of the Torah. It's to reveal God so that we'll know the Lord. By the way, that was God's stated purpose. So they might know that I'm the Lord. And that's really our personal growth in faith. Our personal growth in faith is you need to personally assess and say, do I really know the Lord? I know the Lord knows me real well. He knows all about me. He understands me perfectly. But do I understand the Lord? Do I know the Lord? Now, how can you get to know the Lord? How can you build that relationship? Well, faith comes from hearing. Hearing what? hearing the word of God. Let me hear what God has said, and that will increase my faith, that will increase my belief. You see, when I forget the Lord and I don't listen to the Lord anymore, when I turn my face away and I don't deal with the Lord out of sight, out of mind, then guess what happens to my faith? Guess what happens to my belief? Right down to the bottom. And then I have none. If you have, and I'm sure most of you have had this experience, I certainly have had it, there have been moments in my life where I was walking very strongly with the Lord, and boy, things were going great, and spiritually I was very tuned in with the Lord, and then there came these kind of dry patches, I call them, where things got kind of dull, and the next thing you know, I'm kind of busy with this, and I'm busy with that, and life happens and other things happen and, and and I, and I'm not there focused with what the Lord is doing. And all of a sudden the, uh, um, my faith just evaporates. My confidence in God evaporates. Then all of a sudden I begin to see more problems than I thought I had. And, and they, they look bigger to me and, and, and I struggle more is because my faith isn't my strength at that point. I, I need the strength of the Lord to get through this life. And essentially what Isaiah is saying here to Israel, it says you guys have gotten to the point that a dumb donkey knows better about where the master's stall is for him than you do about God. Um, that an ox know who own him, who owns him? Better than you know who the Lord is and dumb animal is smarter about who his master is than you people are concerning your master now that's a pretty that's a pretty severe rebuke and um, you know it's it's one thing to be called dumb it's another thing to be said well you're dumber than an animal because we all know animals are pretty dumb really as compared to men. Uh, he goes on to say here in verse four. This is this is going to the reason why it's called a hoftor rebuke. Alas, sinful nation, people weighed down with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, sons who act corruptly. They have abandoned the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away from Him. There is a very interesting word that we have in our English language. I'm sure you're familiar with it. It's called contempt. Contempt. And when you decide you're going to ignore the Lord, and you're not going to do what He says, and you you go beyond just disobeying. You know, you intended to do right, but you missed it. You know, it, we go beyond that. You get to the point where you, your thinking actually causes you to disobey even more, you hold God in contempt. You hold him in disregard. You disrespect him. That That's what you do. When you move into abandoning the Lord, you, you disrespect him. By the way, uh, I think we've seen multiple lessons of this, you've ever seen the the situation where you have someone who has great power and throne and authority, and somebody comes in and acts in a very disrespectful manner uh, to that person. What what usually is the outcome of that whole situation? Well, one of two things: either the master looks at the person and extends a little mercy to him because he says. That guy is dumber than an animal. He is stupid. He's dumber than an animal. I'm gonna give him a little bit of mercy. Hopefully he'll learn. Or if he thinks it's willful, defiant, and purposeful, you get judged. You're real close to judgment in both cases. The only one that's gonna save you is because he thinks you're dumber than an animal. That's what Isaiah is trying to say to Israel at the point. Do you want to know why, Israel, you're not dead yet? Because uh, God realizes that you're just dumber than an animal. And uh, we need to get it turned around. We need, you need to learn more. Uh, verse 5, uh, where will you be stricken again as you continue in your rebellion? The whole head is sick and the whole heart is faint. From the sole of the foot, even to the head, there is nothing sound in it, only bruises, welts, and raw wounds, not pressed out or bandaged, not softened with oil. Your land is desolate, your cities are burned with fire, your fields, strangers are devouring them in your presence. It is desolation as overthrown by strangers. And the daughter of Zion is left like a shelter in a vineyard, like a watchman's hot in a cucumber field, like a besieged city. And then he says this, Unless the Lord of hosts had left us a few survivors, we would be like Sodom and we would be like Gomorrah. One of the things that we understand about Isaiah when he came to prophesy was the remnant within Israel, the the ones who believed in the God of Israel, that remnant was very small. Isaiah is saying had we not had that small remnant god would have had, would have gone ahead and just judged all of israel wiped us off we'd have just been another nation that sprung up in ancient times and and went away and died like the hittites and whatever they'd, they'd be gone and um the uh the whole the whole point here is to try to provoke Israel, let's get back to the basics. Let's remember who God is and what God has said with us, and let's remember the agreement that we made with God, and let's start believing in God, because if we can start believing in God again, if we can start listening to what God said, we'll naturally find the commandments, we'll naturally start obeying, we'll start doing the good things that lead to life and not to death, and, and if we can keep that going— there's a wonderful future. It leads all the way to the kingdom. And in every generation, we have this issue. Are we going to be the generation that holds God in contempt and ignores him, doesn't listen to what he has to say, or are we gonna be the generation that does listen to him, does obey him, and uh, continues to grow forward? Now, we're in transition in this generation. Let's just be real honest about this. Do we have a lot of people in the world, in particular in our own country, that believe in God? Yes, we do. The problem is they're disobeying the Lord. Why are they disobeying the Lord? They don't know the commandments. They need to be instructed. But at least we have people that believe, you know, in him. But if we don't learn those commandments pretty quick, and if we don't start keeping those commandments pretty quick, given the circumstances we're getting ready to face in this world, that belief system that we have that everybody's enjoying the moment is going to go away. In fact, there's a great prophecy that says there will be a great falling away of faith because they don't have any way to sustain it. They don't have, they're not doing the things that can increase their faith. They will be like the children of Israel. They will be like historical Israel. Everything's going along fine. Everything's fine. And then all of a sudden they get challenged with it because they're not focusing in on the Lord. They've held him in contempt. They've ignored him. They, they don't want to deal with him. Their faith goes away. Well, they might as well die at that point. There's no life in them anymore. This is what Isaiah came to provoke the children of Israel. You got to get back to the basics again. What Jeremiah did to Jerusalem. You've got to turn back, you know. What the prophets always were telling Israel and so forth, they've got to turn. Now, the wonderful thing that the Messiah came and he uh, took these issues and he said, now, this is not just a problem that you guys have to solve. I, God, am going to help you with this. I'm going to do, I'm going to really be your savior. I'm going to help you to do this. But then that starts with belief. Obeying doesn't get you salvation. Believing gets you salvation. And those are the basic principles of the faith that we've been learned, and that's part of what we see here in Isaiah and in his book. By the way, since the New Testament focuses in on this belief system and so forth, guess what book it most often quotes from in the earlier scriptures? The book of Isaiah, because Isaiah addresses this subject more than even some of the other um, elders, or some of the other uh, prophets of Israel. So Isaiah will get quoted many times, even by the Messiah, uh, with regard to this subject. All right, so this week, uh, be encouraged. We've had the final portion of the Haftor of Rebuke. I've got good news for you. Good things are coming in the future teachings that will encourage you and edify you very much about the good stuff the Lord's going to do. Amen. Shabbat Shalom.
1: Shabbat Shalom. If you would please now turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Timothy to chapter 3. Hold your finger at verse 1 where our Brit Hadashah portion will begin for this week. And let us turn this time over to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time once again. We can study your word and your instruction. And Father, I pray that the New Testament would minister to us this week and this Sabbath, Lord, in whatever things we might be dealing with uh, from week to week. Father, I pray every time that we open your word that it speaks to us, it encourages us, it strengthens us in our most holy faith as we walk uprightly before you. So, Father, we bless you and we thank you on this Sabbath day. We thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. Our Torah portion this week is Devarim. We have now begun the last book of the Law of Moses, Deuteronomy. And uh, as we are closing out the Torah cycle for this year, um, we always give kind of an introduction to what Deuteronomy is. Deuteronomy is the repetition of the Law. This is the instance in which Moses is on uh, the east side of the Jordan, speaking to that generation that will cross the Jordan, enter into the Promised Land at the lead of Joshua. And these are the final words of Moses. Moses. We have the repetition of the law where he speaks all, many, uh, if not all, of the commandments back to, the, to this generation, the ones that were under the age of 20 when the spies rejected the land, the ones who were under the age of 20 when they heard the Ten Commandments uh, uh, spoken by God at Mount Sinai, that they were all younger than 20 when they crossed the Red Sea or not even born yet. And so with this entire instruction of the book of Deuteronomy is to speak to this new generation that is going to go enter into the promised land. And there might be some of that generation who did not experience or did not see, did not not understand exactly what God did for them before. Some of these men and women that are listening to these stories, they didn't see the plagues come upon Egypt. They didn't see the Red Sea part. They didn't see water uh, come from the the rock for the very first time at Rephidim or the very first morning that they woke up and manna was on the ground. They didn't see these things. They might not have even heard the voice of God from Mount Sinai. All they've heard is the stories. And so what we are doing and endeavoring to do when you start to study the book of Deuteronomy is you're trying to teach, you're almost recapping what you've experienced before, but you're teaching it in a way so that it might be heard, so that it might be received. And this is good instruction for any time you're speaking to a new generation of people. Speak about what came before you have to take a glance back to know what happened in the past so that when you move forward and you operate in walking before the Lord, you have to ensure you don't repeat the same mistakes of the past. Because you want to move forward. You want to keep looking forward. It's just like the children of Israel getting ready to enter into the promised land. It's like, look, we've lived in the wilderness for 40 years. Where well, these are the things that we, we used to live in Egypt. We're now we're looking back on those things so that we know where we came from. Now let's look forward to what the Lord is really doing in our lives. Now that we are repeating those words and encouraging and strengthening that next generation. Well, in the historical prologue of the book of Deuteronomy, which the whole first couple of chapters in this Torah portion really includes uh, a history lesson of what the children of Israel did when when they came out of Egypt, when they then went to Mount Sinai, and then when they went and they rejected the, the land, they sent in the spies, and this is why we wandered for 40 years, and these are the rebellions that took place, and these are the kings that we conquered along the way, and it's it's really just this history lesson of how did we get here in the first place as Moses is speaking to these people about to cross the Jordan River. How did we get here? Well, we started in Egypt, and then we did this, 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 and this, and this is why we're getting ready to go. Now, everything else in the book of Deuteronomy is for their edification and this first Passages about this historical prologue. Well, in some of the, the uh, things that are spoken about in the first chapters of Deuteronomy, how do we draw out from the New Testament some of the things that the lessons we're needing to learn, like such as what the children of Israel need to learn from Moses in the current place where they are? Well, there's a one parallel passage here that I want to talk about here in 1 Timothy 3 that's talking about the qualification of leaders and overseers. Why are we talking about this? Well, in the uh, in Deuteronomy, in chapter one, it talks about how leaders were appointed among the people. That when we came out of Egypt, we we were this kingdom of slaves, but then leaders had to be appointed to lead us and to then do do these uh, to, to then we. we Uh, Assigned spies to enter into the land and and we needed to form this leadership structure amongst the children of Israel so on one hand we're looking to the past and saying yes that these this leadership had to be established and we're going to talk about the qualifications of those people and of those leaders but the other reason why we bring this passage in is because again who are we talking to this next generation of people that are going to go in line. We have to now, because that older generation, the leaders that were appointed back then are now no more. They died with that generation with the exception of Joshua and Caleb. We now need to appoint new leaders. This is the instruction that, we, that you give to, to someone who's young, who's going to be rising in the ranks. Who's now going to be leading the children of Israel? This is instruction that that parallels the, our Torah portion for two reasons. One, because we're talking about the leaders that were appointed in the past, but we're also speaking to a younger generation that is going to need to appoint their own leaders, and we need to be all all be on the same page as to the qualifications of these leaders. First Timothy chapter three it says this. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, a husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into uh, reproach and the snare of the devil. Likewise, deacons must be reverent. Not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with pure conscience. Let me go ahead and stop there. This is this incredible teaching that um, sometimes even people that don't follow the Bible, read the Bible, study the Bible very much, might have be aware of this passage of Scripture when you're talking about the qualifications of a leader. Everything that was said here. You would be hard-pressed to find anybody that would stand up and say, "Um, no, I I think a good leader could be here, but he's actually, yeah, he's he's a drunkard as well, but he can still be a good leader as well. Um, Oh, and and, and a leader can be really great, but he can also be greedy for money. Now, this is the thing where it's like, ultimately, you would look at this list and you say, you're right. If we're going to find a good leader, we need to make sure we can check off every single one of these boxes. Unfortunately, it's hard to find someone to Lead the people, or lead a church, or to lead a business, or some organization that doesn't maybe have some questionable, questionable parts of, of these uh, of these qualifications. Even if you had somebody who's sober-minded, they they have great behavior, they're hospitable. Um, yeah, they're not violent, they're not greedy or whatever. But what if they can't teach? What if they can't speak very well? What if they, they I mean, they, they, they just don't have this this ability or this, this uh, uh, the clout is the word I was looking for, uh, to lead the people to, to somebody to listen to them and, and, and they just can't, they can't teach. They can have all these other things, but they can't do that one. Well, you might actually look at that and be like, well, maybe a certain type of position of leadership might be good for that person where it's like, you know, yeah, I mean, they're, they're good in all these different areas. And so there's always varying degrees of leaders. But however, when we're talking about truly ministers, people that are uh, clergy or who are the head of um, churches or congregations or organizations, this, this is the fact. This is where the rubber hits the road. There is a higher standard by which we must carry ourselves as leaders of a religious organization. When you're talking about just secular business, you can talk about, look, you know, some guy rose in the ranks and he did this and now he's making all this money and he made a bunch of money for a bunch of other people or whatever. Ultimately, there might be some greed in the dude's heart and that actually helped him rise in the ranks to his secular position where he's now CEO of some company on Wall Street or he's retired and has all the money in the world and he made a bunch of money for other people and maybe he had to step on a few other people to get there. Maybe he wasn't the most hospitable. Maybe he was kind of a jerk and he was and and, and people actually really didn't like him. But you can't argue with the success that the guy has in his secular business. This is one of those things where um, some of these qualifications are certainly good for all walks of life, specifically in the in some secular business. This is exactly why that guy is in that business and he's not in ministry. It's because he doesn't qualify as far as you know whether it's being greedy for money, not quarrelsome. What are you talking about? This guy, this guy fought every fight and he he beat down any opponent that ever came to came against him. And whether it's in the political arena or in the business arena, you know he he just he just destroyed his opponents to get to where he was. And maybe he's a jerk. Maybe he doesn't have that many friends. Maybe he's been divorced a bunch of times. <laughs> maybe he, all of these things about that person. But you can't argue with the success of the position that he's in. Well, you look at that and you're like, "All right, well, that guy definitely shouldn't be the head of a church or a national ministry." Unfortunately, there are ministers and people that are head of re- religious organizations that kind of fit that same description as well. According to the scripture, that is not uh, that that is not biblically the qualifications of of tr- a true leader who follows the Lord, who ministers to the brethren, who serves the brethren, who has not served himself. But he serves the brethren and he serves the Lord as the Lord leads, as the Lord calls for him to do. This is truly what we are looking for when you are submitting under someone's leadership. In a religious organization, in your fellowship, in your congregation, even as small as a small Bible study. This, these are the things you want to see in the person that you're following and that you're listening to. Or who's sharing the word with you or, or allowing the spirit to move through them to, to speak the word to you. That higher standard that I speak of is very important, and I'll tell you exactly why. Let's just run the scenario through. The person is in a position of religious authority. They speak, they minister, they do all these great things. Then sin becomes apparent. Then we find out, all right, this person was embezzling money from the church. This person is an alcoholic at home or has a certain uh, kind of negative relationship with his family or something along those lines. Once you find that out... Then you're like, oh my gosh, I've been following this person. I've looked up to this person. This person I I, I I look to as a great example of what it is to be a godly person, yet this is what they do. And then it causes everybody to question their faith. If you Even in a small Bible study, every single person in that Bible study might throw their hands up in the air and say, what am I even doing this for? Am I going to read my Bible now? No, because the last time I opened my Bible, I think of that person that I found out some great sin or some terrible thing about, and now I associate that with the Bible, which is what we shouldn't do. We need to associate the Bible with the Word of God, and that anyone who speaks and ministers to who speak from the Bible, that it doesn't uh, dissolve or or give this some disillusion to the fact that the Bible is the Word of God, And but if we associate it with them, Then this is how people fall away from the faith. This is how people lose their their faith. They they lose the their love for God, they lose the love for His Word, they lose the love of the brethren, and now they don't trust anybody. This is why, this is why sins of clergy is so heinous. So heinous because it perverts the word of God and what, what God is supposed to do for us. And it is the ways of the world and the temptations of the flesh and temptations of the world that the devil puts in front of us that causes the ministry of God to be utterly destroyed because these things happen. We have got to look at the word, what the word says. And then we've got to take one hard look in the mirror as believers or as ministers or as anybody in any position of leadership, fathers of households, uh, mothers of households. Look inside and see are you blameless? Are you, are you temperate? Are you hospitable? are you are you given in into wine is it that you can't function in life unless you, you you have a couple of drinks at the end end of the day and maybe there's one it's one thing to just have one drink and, and, and have a, something that's relaxing it's another thing to be addicted to something and that there is i mean if somebody truly knew how much your consumption is of one substance or another would that reflect positively on you or poorly on you we have to t- take a good look at, at, at how are how are our children behaving because if you're just letting your children run amok, then why are you as a leader, if you if it, it doesn't appear on the outside that you lead your children, teach your children, and the children are obedient, then why in the world would you be one that would ever teach the Word of God to try and encourage other people to be obedient in any shape, way, shape, or form? Not just obedient to you, but obedient to God. This is the, these are these things that we have to follow and we have to look at. If you can ever find somebody that fits some of these, these things, this is you can think of perhaps maybe the best pastor you ever had or the best congregational leader or the best Bible study you were ever a part of. And maybe it was for a time even that you might say, at that time this person was this way and did all these things. Unfortunately, as time goes on, times change. People change. And that sometimes somebody, you know, they get burned out. They 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 played the nice guy for so long, and then they, they, then they don't want to do it anymore. And then maybe something dissolved later. But if you go back in time to that, that that pastor that you loved, you can sit here and read this and be like, yeah, this is what I saw. You oh man, the, the teachings he gave at that time were so great. And then he would do, he he did all these things and he acted this way and he was hospitable and uh, these are all things that we look for in a leader. And if you're desiring to be in leadership in any way, shape, or form, these are things that you, I mean, you can get this on a plaque. Put this on your, your phone wallpaper. that Be reminded of the higher standard that you need to follow and you need to walk in if you're desiring the position of leadership that you feel the Lord is leading you to do. These are things that we have to be, be mindful, double-tongued. You, you, you can't say one thing and do another. You can't act one way with one person and another way with another person like, oh, I'm only hospitable to the people that I like or the people that I can get something out of. Oh, I'll be generous to them because, you know, they're going to be generous to me. But if this person doesn't have the capacity to give to me, well, then I'm not going to be generous to them. That's a double standard. That's being double tongued. That's only catering again to to the money or the power or the authority or the fame or, or that you can get out of somebody. When you finally learn that about somebody, that that's the kind of leader that somebody is. That's when things start to fall apart. That's when that person is now disqualified from being a leader if they say one thing and do another, or they're speaking out of both sides of their mouth. These are things that we cannot do. We have to have a good testimony of the people who see us on the outside, not just the people that know us closely, that's a biased testimony. You can't just have your best friend. Oh yeah, that person's got. A, oh, he he has such a good heart, and this person, and it's all like, well, you're only saying that because you're his best friend. You're only saying that because you're a family member. That so and so has a good heart, and oh oh no no no, they really are good. It's like, no, what's their testimony on the outside? That's what it says there in verse seven. That they have a good testimony among those who are outside. What do people see when they see them? And they're like, all the friends and family could say, oh, he's so good. Yeah, except when he goes out here, he's he's cussing and swearing and, and, and acting a fool over here in front of everybody else. And everybody else they says, like, no, this person is, this is how they are. You can sit there and defend, you're only defending them because you know them. That's the nature of what we have going on here. The testimony must be of, what, what, what does somebody see if they meet, met you for the very first time? And then that one, that other warning there, that about um, being puffed up with pride. Whenever we've dug into uh, the book of um, the, the, the book of Jude, or uh, specifically, uh, it was Obadiah that the that the entire prophet was all about the fall of the sons of Esau because of pride, and that pride being one of the things that, um, is the things that God hates. That almost, I mean, you, you can make the argument that pride, according to the Bible, is one of the mo- one of the worst sins anyone can commit. And that certainly, like when, when you start to see that, when you and and that's what some people have when they enter into leadership. They're proud of their accomplishments, whether it's the trophies on the wall or the plaques on the wall or whatever. And they're, 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 they're And there's a fine line between, between you know, give, giving honor and seeing how somebody you know the 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 things and the the things of honor that they've earned over time, and maybe they put those on display or they they have the credentials to say what they have to say. There's a fine line between. Presenting those things in that way, and then being proud, because that's exactly what a leader—that—that that is the greatest pitfall of a leader—to be proud of your accomplishments, to be proud of what you've done, and that's—and—and and, and in fact, you know, sometimes when we're uh, we, when we make an announcement here at the ministry, um, that we you know know—we're proud to announce that uh, we have a brand new calendar available, and there's been some people that have come along and just say, you know, well, you know, pride is is a sin, and we're like. You know, you know what, for the sake of semantics, you know, uh, we are pleased to bring you the brand new calendar. That, and, and sometimes you change that verbiage so that you do not fall into that trap of pride. Which is, again, as the scripture might describe, one of the most heinous of sins and one of the things that God absolutely hates. And that is one major pitfall for anyone that might find themselves in leadership. To, to to fall to his own pride and, and to the same condemnation as the devil because, uh, you know, in deeper studies and deeper uh, discussions, that was the sin of the devil, the angel that fell, that there, there, there was a pride of, of the position he was in that caused the fall of the angels that took place at some point in time in the heavenly realm somewhere in or before Genesis 1. So th- that sin is the sin of the devil, and we need to avoid that type of sin, In all things that we do. Now let's turn to the book of Hebrews to chapter three, where um, this is probably the most um, extensive parallel passage um, that connects to our Torah portion here, when we're simply talking about the generation of people that went into the wilderness, fell into the wilderness, sinned, rebelled. And then we're now speaking, how do we learn from the people that fell in the wilderness? Let's speak to now their children so that they don't make those same mistakes. This passage is actually is fantastic for really laying out everything that happened to the children of Israel in the wilderness with a final instruction for us to be obedient, to be diligent, to follow what the Lord has said so that we might enter into the promised land. Excuse me. So uh, Hebrews chapter 3. Beginning at verse 7, it says this, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, And in the day of the trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works forty years, therefore I was angry with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. The writer of Hebrews there is quoting from Psalm 95, verses 7 through 11, where he he, he gives attribution, I think accurately, to the Holy Spirit that says these things. And that psalm is speaking, of course, to about the children of Israel. You're not going to talk about rebellions. We're not going to talk about being in a wilderness for 40 years unless we're talking about the children of Israel. And that instruction that comes from the Psalms, repeated for us here in the New Testament, is absolutely the case. Do not harden your hearts. You saw these things. And I was angry with you, and I swore to them that they will not enter my rest. That is... Um, you know, that's the judgment that came upon that generation. Okay, that's harsh words, once again, of the judgment. How do we fix it? How do we fix it? Well, the writer continues, verse 12. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. The writer here takes a great tactic here in the, in the teaching of us to say, look, let's, let's make this about the present. Let's make this about right now. We can talk about the past. We can look to the past and we can say, you know, these are what happened to that generation. And we can sit here and say, well, what a bunch of fools that generation was. We're obviously going to do better, right? Uh, Wrong if you have that mentality. You'll repeat the same mistake, especially if you're not looking at learning from the past or taking the application of, well, what do we do to fix it? How do we ensure that it doesn't happen? Great, great counsel right there. Exhort one another daily while it is called today day in and day out, Uh, speak positively, exhort one another to follow the Lord, follow the commandments of God. Don't become uh, complacent in the life that you're in. Don't uh, settle for mediocrity in your life and in the things that you do, but lift each other up, encourage another, strengthen one another, speak about the things of the Lord and be lifted up each and every day because that is what reading between the lines that's one of the things that came against the children of israel this complacency this this when are we going to get to the promised land when are we going to get the next meal when are we going to get our next drink of water when are we going to like i'm i want meat i'm tired of bread but i want meat and it's like all of these things that that these grumblings that the children of israel experienced in the wilderness how do we I, i mean these were you can say one thing great for one day and the next day somebody can be completely different how many times an argument that you think is resolved or a discussion or an issue that that is all long been taken care of how many times sometimes does it just come up again <laughs> in another day in another situation another issue and it suddenly, suddenly it's an issue again why are we still talking about this it's because look for some reason daily they're not being reminded of the word they're not being encouraged and they fall back into old habits they fall back into old habits which is what the children of Israel did already in their hearts that were still slaves they fell back into the habits as if they were still in Egypt. They started talking about the food that they had in Egypt, like the leeks and the onions and the fish and all of those things that they had. And it was, oh, it was so good, wasn't it? No, there was taskmasters and hard bondage and you weren't free. It wasn't good. So stop talking about like it was good. Stop falling back. In. And, and how many times does somebody come in and, and suddenly they act like nothing happened before? But they didn't just lose their mind the day before and then they're just gonna like oh yeah yeah we're back to the back to the same old same old it's like from one day to the next there's inconsistency and it's like how do we ever stay focused on what the lord is trying to teach us or what the lord wants us to do if we just keep day in and day out we don't even know what tomorrow is going to bring because we're not exhorting each other daily reading the word daily speaking about the lord daily I, I love the the meme that's going around. Jesus isn't a weekend thing. That's what so many people really fall into is that you just you you, you go to church or your congregation and 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 some, for some people that's the only time they ever open their Bible. And that's that, that can't happen with the people of God. We have to exhort one another daily so we do not make the same mistakes of the previous generation. This is great counsel. This is great. We're we're, we're being given. Good instruction here on how to keep these things from happening again. Verse 16, the writer continues on in uh, chapter 3. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that he would not enter his rest? But to those who did not obey... So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. This is the thing too. And, and, and here's, your, here's this idea of, of, of getting wrapped up or caught up in the mob of what was going on. See, that entire generation fell in the wilderness because of the sin of a few people. The direct sin that you see, whether it was the three thousand of the golden calf, or was, whether it was the fourteen thousand in the rebellion of Korah, or twenty-four thousand in the uh, in the story of Phineas, and it's all like there was these groups of people that 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 was a percentage or a fraction of the group, but ultimately judgment came upon the entire generation. Now, we could maybe look at this two different ways. One. The sin of a little, a little leaven leavens the whole lump and that people get caught up in the sin of somebody and that's why you have to be very mindful of who you associate with, who you're in fellowship with and whether you're following the spirit of man and the spirit of people or you're following the spirit of God. It took a different spirit in Joshua and Caleb to not be caught up in that generation and the sins of that generation so that they could see the promised land and not die in the wilderness. So is it simply because that, that... Each person has the individual mandate to figure out who you associate with, what you believe, and if you are following a different spirit, then hopefully you can be like Joshua and Caleb and not like the other generation that fell in the wilderness. We need to be careful of those things. Also, here's what's also possible. God knew the hearts of all the people, and there truly was unbelief in every single one of their hearts. Truly, they just did not believe the Word of God. They couldn't get it, they couldn't see it, they they didn't hear it, they didn't want to follow it. And every other rebellion or grumbling that took place took over and they couldn't, they were not ready to enter into the rest, the promised land, the, 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 the Sabbath of the promised land. It's the same warnings to the generation that we're talking about going into the millennial kingdom at the end of the age. Was there going to be a generation that will be ready to go in and enter into the rest, the Sabbath of millennia, the seven thousand uh, the, 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 the uh, section of seven thousand years that the kingdom will actually occupy, as opposed to the previous six thousand years or plus or however long uh, the world's been here? That are, are there going to be people ready to enter into that rest, or will there be those that make the same mistake? Hopefully, if we study the Word, study the instruction, exhorting one another daily, that we might learn those lessons so that we might be ones who are welcome into that kingdom, welcome into the Sabbath of millennium, into that rest, so that we aren't like the ones that get caught up with the Lord's wrath toward those that fail in the wilderness. Again, Everybody has the individual responsibility for what is truly in your heart. Are you submitting to the Holy Spirit and having the Spirit of God inside of you like Joshua and Caleb so that you might be one of the, even though you're in the older generation, you're going to see the land? Or do we just get caught up in all the same things and the same mistakes and what happens to the fathers will happen to the descendants and we make the same mistakes of old? Ultimately, the choice is ours, but it's not for lack of teaching to try and instruct us to do otherwise. Let me continue on into chapter 4 of Hebrews where the story and the and, and this exhortation continues. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his, his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it, for who, for, for we who had believed did not enter that rest. And he said, So I swore in my wrath that they shall not enter my rest. Although the works were finished from the foundations of the world, for he had spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in that way, and God rested on the seventh day from all of his works, and again in that place they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. Again, he designates a certain day, saying in David, Today, after such a long time, it has been said, Today, if you hear my, will hear my voice, do not harden your hearts. See, the writer of Hebrews is now speaking into the future and saying, Look, there are certain people that it was not allowed for them to enter into the promised land, enter into the rest, but some have to. It's almost like kind of a kind of a logic argument here, where it's like, but but some people have to enter in, so therefore there, there's there's a hope that we that we might enter into there and that, look and even if it didn't happen in the past, the writer and and the writer of Psalms and what's speaking the Holy Spirit speaking through David because he's still quoting from Psalm ninety five there, saying that today there will be a day today whether that's that's today or that's another future today, but there will be a day. That the people will hear this and will enter into his rest. This is sort of this interesting logic argument, but really it's a logical argument for the message of hope that there will be a day. The scripture says there will be a day. So, And there will be a people that will enter in. Now we have a generation in the, in the past that didn't. Maybe is there a generation in the future that will? That's the message of hope that's, that's, that's being said. Verse 8, for if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. Therefore remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. For he who had entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did for from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. All right, so now he has been saying rest this whole time. And so when we think of that, we immediately think of the Sabbath day. This is actually a great exhortation for the fact that we should pay very close attention to the Sabbath day, to keeping the rest that God has instructed all people to take. It's that rest. It's that Sabbath. It's that representation of what Sabbath is to us that speaks to us of the covenant of God. If we don't ever rest, if we don't ever take a Sabbath, then... Every day is the same. There's no break. There's no stopping. And, it's just, and every day is the same. And again, that, that, that um, complacency for every day to happen, every day, the next day and the next day and the next day, and then suddenly it's so much harder than to exhort each other every day. This is, uh, uh, the way I'm interpreting this and the way the, what, what the Lord's trying to tell me with, with this is that Sabbath and the keeping of that Sabbath keeps the cycle going. Keeps the instruction going. And like I said, you know, Sabbath can't be the only time that we read the Scripture. But man, it's a good thing that it's there. That doesn't mean that it's all like, oh, I'm not going to go to congregation this week because I read my Bible every day. No, that's, that's not the conclusion you're supposed to draw. The conclusion you're supposed to draw is that don't let that one time be the only time. But man, it's a good thing that it's there because it gives us the pattern of what the sabbatical year is like the year of of, of release the year of jubilee it gives us the idea of what the kingdom is like it gives us the idea of what it would like for the lord to dwell with us in our homes that's what we learn from keeping the sabbath and that this is the, the one of the ways that we learn And what do we do on the Sabbath? We study the Word. If we follow the Torah cycle, every single year we come back around to all of these stories, and these lessons of the children of Israel not going into the land. And we take us right here to Hebrews 3 and 4 and say, look, these are the things we need to learn. How do we stop them from happening? Exhort each other daily. Teach these things. Speak on these things. This is what we need to do. And because the psalm was written after Joshua entered into the land, and that David was speaking of either his present day or into the future of another day, the writer of Hebrews correctly identifies the fact that it's like, no, these words weren't written for that generation entering into the promised land. These words were written for a future generation that might hear them and take application to them in their day. And that's for us. That's the speaking into the future of the, our generation uh, of, of, that, that follows these words, that reads these words, that, and, and I, I can't remember if I've said this before, but, but if I haven't, I'll say it again. When the Scripture says today, well, today, hear these words, to, I make a covenant with you today, God's power of His voice, a God that exists outside of time, isn't talking about what the day the words were said or written, He's talking about any day that the Spirit of God might move inside of you that you might read and absorb His Word into your life. When the Scripture says today, He's talking about today. (laughs) As funny as that might sound. If you read this tomorrow, He's talking about that day as well. Now, it's hard for our brains to wrap around this because we're confined to this concept of time in some linear fashion. But when the Scripture says today, it applies to you. Whenever you hear it, whenever you read it, whenever you are, are speaking of it to your brethren, whether you spoke about it last week or you're speaking about it right now today in your Bible study or whether you're speaking about it tomorrow, next week, or next year, the Word applies to you at all, at all of those times. This is the power of the Scripture. This is the power of God's Word to exist outside of time. These are the lessons for us to learn from the mistakes of the children of Israel in the wilderness and for the word to then minister to us in this place in our lives today. In that very last last, uh, verse right there, Hebrews 4.11, Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. There it is right there. Lesson learned. That's the thesis. That's the point of this message. Don't fall into the same method of disobedience. Don't do it. We have the cheat sheet. We have the instruction. We have the study material. So when the test actually comes, don't fail. Don't fail. Don't disregard what you've heard before, what you've seen or experienced before. Learn the lessons so that you don't fall into the same mistake. Once again, this whole concept, this whole theme and, and of this message is this. We take a glance back so that we can continue to press forward. We take a look at what happened in the past, so, but but never take your eyes off the goal of the kingdom in the future and the God that we follow and we serve. That is the, the whole point of this. It's not to look back and live in the past. It's to look back so that we can then move appropriately toward the future. Um, I don't have time, but there's a few other additional readings that are traditional for this uh, portion as well. And, and many of them have this, this very prominent looking forward to the future with regard to what happened in the past. It's Matthew 24, which is the Olivet Discourse of, of the Messiah speaking about what will happen in the end. And he talks about, look, you'll see these wars, rumors of wars, all these things and all these terrible things that have happened in the past. We're taking a glance back, but no, we're looking forward to the future when the, when the Messiah comes on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. There's a, there's a positive spin on that. The other parallel passage is Acts 9, 1 through 21, which is the Damascus Road experience of Paul where Paul, being a Pharisee, who, who used to persecute the, or the first century Christians and, and the Jews that believed in the Messiah, and then suddenly a whole new shift, a whole new change. It says, Paul, I got a new plan for you. There's a, something new for you to now follow. And so we're, we'll take a look back at who you used to be, but we're now going to press forward into who you are, as being the, the apostle that was called to minister to the Gentiles and to the children of Israel in that passage. So if you've got time in your Bible studies this week, you can dig into those passages as well and see how they sort of relate to this theme. We're taking a glance back, but never lose sight of what God is doing in the future and what the goal is for us as followers and believers of God. Amen? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your teaching and your instruction and your word. Once again, I pray that uh, any who hear it are uh, encouraged and strengthened in their faith. Father, may we uh, follow this counsel, Lord, to exhort each other daily to dig into your word and your instruction. Father, and let the day not end without us making a confession to you today. May we always confess our faith and our love and our obedience to you, Father, for the covenant that we have with you. We bless you and we thank you on this Sabbath day. We thank you for choosing us from among all peoples. We thank you for the generation we live in, Lord, when your word can be so near to us in our hands and in and on the bookstore shelves of, of every store on every corner of every street, Lord. We love you, we bless you, and we thank you, Lord, for all the blessings and provisions that you give to us and for all the the, the mercies and, and that you extend to us as well, Father. We bless you on the Sabbath day. We thank you for your word and your instruction. We give you all honor, glory, and praise in this place. It's in your Son, Yeshua, that we pray. Amen. Shabbat
0: Shalom. May the
1: Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of Yeshua, the Messiah, the Prince of Peace, Shalom.